0: So Luke chapter 15 can be found on page 898 of those Black Church Bibles, starting from verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Well, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents.
1: Continuing at verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found." This is the
2: word of the Lord. God. Good evening, nice to see you everyone. My name is Paul, I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to see you tonight. Perhaps the most famous hymn that's ever been written is Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Uh, Words written by John Newton, who was once lost. Uh, John Newton had no relationship with God. He hated God. He was a rebel running away from God. Until one evening, God in his mercy, God in his grace, he opened his eyes, he reached out to John, and he rescued him, and he found him. And can I say, if you're here tonight as a believer in Christ, that is your story. You were once lost. You were once distanced from God. You were once away from God. You are rebelling against God, running away from God. But God in his grace and God in his mercy, he reached out to you and he loved you and he found you and he brought you home. Not because you were good. Not because you were nice, but because he just loved you. And he lavished his grace upon you. It's called the gospel of grace. I once was lost. But now I'm found, I was blind, but now I'm It's the best use in the world, isn't it? You know, sometimes God seeks lost people in, in quite spectacular ways. Uh, like James, not our James, a different James. Uh, Jesus found James in jail, in prison. Uh, he went from being a prisoner to a preacher of the gospel, the most extraordinary transformation, praise God for that. This morning I had the, the, the pleasure of dedicating Corey and Sarah Gallagher's little, little girl. And if you know their story, uh, both Corey and Sarah, they were so far from God. But God used tragedy and pain and grief to reach out and find them. And they stood in church this morning and said, that is the best thing to found Jesus, the best thing that's happened to them. Praise God for that. So so sometimes it's spectacular, uh, sometimes it's just mundane. You've been in church all your life, you've grown up in church, you've grown up in a Christian home, you know your Bible, you say your prayers, you sing the songs, but at some point in your life, God intervenes and God opens your eyes and God reaches you and he finds you. That is true for every believer. You once were lost, but now you're found. And that is Luke chapter 15. These three stories of lost things being found. It's got to be one of the most famous chapters in the whole Bible. He's talking to two different groups of people. Do you spot that in verse 1 and 2? He calls them the sinners and the saints. There's the sinners in verse one, the tax collectors and the sinners, the the outsiders, the drunkards, the prostitutes, the thieves, the liars, the no hopers. Uh, these people, it's obvious that they're lost without God. There's a second group in verse two, they're called the Pharisees, the the teachers of the law, the so called saints. Uh, These are the the religious people who who think they're okay with God. They appear to be okay with God because they're in church, they're reading their Bible, they're saying their prayers, they're doing good deeds, they're nice, kind, upright people. But you can still be lost when you're a Pharisee. And the point is, is that all people are lost without God, but God, our God, he looks, he searches, he seeks until he finds people. And that's our big idea tonight. It's on the screen. God lovingly seeks and finds lost people. I love that. God lovingly seeks and finds lost people. Now, our God is like the shepherd in our story who is counting his sheep at the end of the day. One, two, three, four, five, ten, twenty, fifty, eighty, ninety, ninety five, ninety six, ninety seven, ninety eight, ninety nine. But he had a hundred. And there's one sheep that's missing, one precious sheep that is lost. And so this shepherd lovingly seeks and searches until he finds. Oh, God is like the woman in the lost coin. She's counting her silver coins. Each one is worth the day's wages. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. But she had 10. And one is missing, just one. But she lovingly Seeks and searches and looks and longs until she finds it. Or oh, God is like the Father who has two sons and they're both lost. One runs away, one stays at home and is cold and distant. But he lovingly seeks and searches and longs and looks until he finds. That is our God. Do you know that about God? He lovingly looks and longs and seeks and searches until he finds lost souls. Uh, lost is such a, a strong word, isn't it? It's an emotive word. It means that we are helpless. It means that we're hopeless. But that's how the Bible describes people without God. Before we met Jesus, we were lost. And we lived on God's turf in his world, enjoyed all his things, but ignored him and we were lost. You ever lost anything precious to you? You lost your your car keys or your house keys or or your wallet and you 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 search in the kitchen, you search down the sofa, you can't find I once found my car keys after two days of looking in the freezer. No idea how they got there. But sometimes you you lose something really precious. Friend of mine lost their diamond engagement ring, and they didn't just shrug their shoulders and say, Oh, it doesn't really matter. They search and they search and they search and she found it down the car seat. Not sure I got there either. But what happens when you lose somebody, lose a person? As a parent, when your child gets lost in the supermarket, just just for one minute, the panic. But what about when your child goes missing for days and weeks and months and and then years? Can you imagine being Madeleine McCann's parents? the grief and the pain a lost child. Being lost is terrible. That's how God describes all people who are without him. Lost without God. Jesus gives four examples of lostness and everybody in the world fits into one category. There's the wanderer, the drifter, that gradually and slowly drifts away from God. I think that's a sheep of verse three. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. So you've got this dumb, stupid sheep who decides that he knows best or she knows best. She doesn't need the flock. She can do life without the flock. Uh, the, the, the other pastures that they look nice, they look greener, look better. And so they wander and they drift. And I know some people like that. They thought they could do their Christian life without the flock and without God. Uh, the pastures were green on the other side. The world was so attractive. And so they moved further and further and further away from God until they wake up and they have no relationship with God. And uh, Maybe that is you right here tonight. Drifting and wandering away from the Good Shepherd. Or maybe you're clueless. That was me for 20 years of my life. God was not on my radar. I had no concept of God, I had no concept of a higher being. I'd never heard about Jesus. And I think that's the coin of verse 8. Because coins don't see and don't think and don't feel. It's just a coin. This coin doesn't even know it belongs to anybody. doesn't know it's lost. Or the woman feels the pain, and but the coin is clueless. And I do think that is most people in our city. God's not on their radar. Let me, let me just tell you that... Most people in Kirribilli and in Neutral Bay and in Sydney, they do not wake up on a Sunday morning and think, oh, I've got to church today. Because they don't think about God. They're clueless, but they're still lost. But Jesus focused not on the wanderer, not on the clueless, but on the rebel and the religious. That is the power of the lost sons. So, so some people, they run away from God and they shake their fist at God and they say, get lost, God, I don't want you in my life. And that is the younger son. And it's terrible. Verse 11, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Those two words, give me, they are so offensive. He's saying, give me my inheritance now, Dad. And he's basically saying, get lost, Dad. I wish you were dead. He's saying, Dad, I want your money, but I don't want you. I want to enjoy my life without you, God. I want to enjoy all the good things that your money can give me, but I don't want you around, Dad. And that's terrible, isn't it? Isn't that horrible? But actually, that's the way that many people treat God, isn't it? God, I'll take all the good things you give me, but I don't want you. I want to enjoy the sun and the sand and the holidays and the homes and the fun and the fitness and the food. and I want to enjoy the harbour and the cars and my clothes. I want to take all these good things that you give me, God, but God, I don't want you around. Get lost, God. I don't want you in my life. And we might not shake our fist at God, but we could be much more subtle, can't we? We never say thank you. We think we deserve it. Or we think we know what will make us happy and we want freedom in life and we don't want God telling us what to do. And that's what this son wanted. He wanted freedom from the father. Look at verse 13. Not long after that, the young rebel, he got together all he had, his money, his possessions, and he he heads off for a distant country as far away from his father as possible. And there he had a great time, living it up. Food, wine, women, sex, partying. And he squandered his wealth on wild living. He's having a great time until one day the bubble bursts, because it always does. I hope you know that. I hope you know that the bubble of pleasure and self-satisfaction and sex and success, it always bursts, it never satisfies and this rebel, this boy, he, he thought he had it all. But one day he wakes up and he's got nothing left. He's hit rock bottom. Verse 14, after he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. He's helpless. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. How bad is that, the the Jewish boy feeding the pigs? That is rock bottom. And he's got this aching, this longing, verse 16, to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating. He's just desperate. But there's no one there for him. And there's no one to care for him. Because he's run away from his father. It's not food that he wants, it's a father that he needs. And he went looking for freedom, but he found loneliness and emptiness. They always do. Until one day this boy wakes up and he comes to his senses and says, How stupid I have been. He's a rebel who's running away until he hits rock bottom. And friends, sometimes it takes that. Sometimes God has to strip us of everything in life, everything good, before we will wake up and realize how far you have run away from God. A Joel hit rock bottom, not this Joel, a different Joel. Joel was born into a Christian family and went to a Christian youth group and led at youth group and got into the music scene in his early twenties and then became a drug addict. Here's what he wrote. I no longer visited my family. I missed birthdays, anniversaries, weddings, all because of my addiction. I hit rock bottom when I was evicted from my home and slept on the streets. I'd given up everything I had, everything good in my life, and I wasted everything on this reckless living. And the hardest thing I've ever done was telling my parents how far I had fallen. Telling your own mother that her son is a drug addict. But like the father in the parable, my parents just loved me unconditionally, regardless of what I'd done. That is Joel's story. He had to realise how far he has rebelled and run away. Maybe that is you tonight. Maybe you're sitting in church tonight and you're looking for freedom and you're looking for experiences, but you're running far, far, far away from God and you're rebelling. It never satisfies. It never does. But let me say, you don't have to, be, you don't have to, to rebel to be lost. You can sit in church every week and still be lost. It's called the religious people. I'm a good bloke, I go to church, I know my Bible, say my prayers. I'm on the rosters. That's the older son in our story, isn't it? Look at verse 28. The older brother became angry. He is furious that his younger brother has been welcomed home. And he refused to go in, he chose to stay outside. So his father went out, his father loved him enough to go out and plead with him, but this arrogant older brother, he says this, verse 29. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. All these years I've been the perfect son. I've never rebelled. I've never wasted your money. I've never parted hard. I've never said, get lost, dad. I'm always at church. I'm always at home. I'm always helping. I'm always here. He's always there, but there's no relationship. There's no relationship. Verse 29, all these years, I've been slaving for you. He thinks he's a slave, not a son. I, I've been a good boy. I've never disobeyed your orders. I, I've kept your commands. I've just been good. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. I, I don't want to celebrate with you, Dad. I want to be with my friends. But, verse 30, when this son of yours, not my brother, not my brother, But your son, he won't even admit that they come from the same womb. And this older son, he's like this whinging, jealous, resentful, sanctimonious, pious, martyr-like, woe is me, pathetic, stupid churchgoer who thinks he's okay. He thinks he's better than other people because he hangs around church all the time. And can I say, the self-delusion of religion is utterly tragic. This older brother, he's at home. He's living in the same house as his dad. He's eating at the same table every day. He sees his dad every day. But there is no relationship. He doesn't shake his fist. The relationship just disintegrates in his own backyard. And I think that's a real danger with some churchgoers. I think churches are full of older brothers who think they're okay. Go to church, read your Bible, do good work, slave away, think God will be pleased with you, but it's duty, not love. Can I say, whether you wander, whether you're clueless, whether you rebel, or whether you're a religious person, the word to describe you is lost. You are lost without God. If you don't yet know Jesus Christ personally, you are lost without God. The thing I love about Luke 15 is that these powers are not really about the lost. The focus is not on the lost sheep or the lost coin or the lost son. The focus is on the shepherd and the woman and the father. Because the focus in this chapter is on the people who seek and search and look and long and find. Because these powers are about our God. The story is about how wonderful and loving and kind and caring is our God. We are found by a loving God by the loving God. And I hope you know that about God the heartbeat of God what does God want? He does not delight in the death of a sinner. He doesn't want people to go to hell. The heartbeat of God is that he craves he desires All people to come home to be saved. Our God searches and seeks and looks and loves and cares and rejoices. He's like the shepherd of verse 4. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't the shepherd leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Let me ask you how many sheep were lost? Just one. He had 99 other sheep. But he didn't say, I've got 99 other sheep, that one doesn't matter. The one matters to him. He cares about the one. He cares about that one sheep. And he heads off and he searches and he seeks. And he's not muttering under his breath, oh stupid sheep. His heart is full of compassion for his one lost sheep. Sheep, And when he finds it, he rejoices. That's how much he cares. Same as the woman in verse 8. How many coins has she lost? Oh, just one. And you could say, oh, she's got nine other coins. It doesn't really matter. It does matter. It matters to her that just one is lost. And so she searches carefully. She sweeps, she cleans. And you can hear her saying, it must be here somewhere. I've got to find it. It reminds me of Kate and Jerry McCann, Madeline's parents. They are not sitting at home saying, we've got two other children. They will keep looking and they will keep searching for their precious Madeline until they find her. And that is our God. Do you know that about God? He cares for the one. He cares for that lost soul. I'm sure there's one person in your, if you're a Christian tonight, I'm sure there's one person in your life who you long, who you long to come to know Christ. God cares for that person, you know. Don't give up on them. There's a lady at her 330 church. Her name's Veronica. She's been a Christian for over 40 years. And for over 40 years, her husband has not been a believer. And she's been praying for him every day for 40 years. Can you imagine that? Longing for her husband to come to faith. About three months ago, Bruce gave his life to Christ. God reached out and found Bruce and opened his eyes. And he's now a believer. Praise God for that. And I want to encourage you. I don't know who it is in your life that you love so much who doesn't yet know Christ. But don't you ever think that God can't find them? Don't you ever think that they are beyond salvation? God can. God can find those lost souls because God cares. And he loves. Like a shepherd who cares and like a father who loves. A father who just longs to welcome home lost souls. Let me ask you, how would you respond? How would you feel If a child of yours had said, get lost, I want nothing to do with you, and they'd taken your wealth, taken your money, and they'd squandered it, and they slept with a thousand prostitutes, and they came grovelling back to you, and said, oh, I'm really sorry, I stuffed up. How would you feel as a father? As a father, I have to be honest, I I think I might have a bit of resentment. I, I think I might make them feel a bit guilty. I might manipulate them a bit. I might make them sweat a bit. I might make them sort of rub their noses in it and say, will just pay you back a bit at a time, but make sure you pay your debts. I hope you don't think God is like that. With our God, there is no grudges. There's no grievances. There's no recrimination. There's no manipulation. He's waiting. He's welcoming. He's forgiving, and he's full of love. His arms are wide open. Uh, The the arms are wide open to the older brother, the arrogant older brother. Verse 28, the older brother became angry. He refused to go into the house. He refused to go near his father, so the father went out to him. He came to him, he made the first move, and he's pleading with him, he's begging with him, just come home. Verse 31, my son, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. You belong to me. You're precious to me. Please, please come home. That's the love of a father for the religious older brother. You need to know that. You need to believe that people in church, who sit in church week in, week out, and God can still find them. But his arms are wide open to the biggest rebel, whoever you are. You're supposed to imagine the... The the boy, the younger son, rehearsing his story. Dad, I'm so sorry. I've sinned so badly. I'm not worthy to be called your son. I'm so sorry, Dad. I've hurt you. I've rejected you. I've shamed you. I've squandered everything. Please, I deserve nothing from you. But I love verse 20. Before he can open his mouth. Verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his loving father saw him like he's been waiting, looking and longing every day. It could be today, it could be today. And when he saw him in the distance, verse 20 says he was filled not with anger and not with resentment. He was filled with compassion for him. He was filled with love. His heart is aching because he cares so much for his precious son. He doesn't care what he's done. And he runs to him. That is so undignified for a man of that culture. And he he throws his arms around him. He hugs him. And literally he covers him with kisses. He kept on kissing him. That is love, isn't it? Running, hugging, kissing. And that is our God, you know. He hugs us, he kisses us and says, I'm so glad you've come home. I don't care what you've done. And you imagine this boy, he starts to speak. I'm so sorry, Dad. I'm so sorry. I don't deserve to call you son. And Dad says, shh, stop it. I don't care what you've done. you come home. I love you. Welcome home. And it's a bit like when we come to God and and we're tempted to say, God, I'm so sorry. Let me repay you in some way. And God says, no. I'm so glad you come home. Oh, but, but I'm so guilty. Yes, you are guilty. But it's okay, I paid for it all at Calvary. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. It's all been done at Calvary. That's how much I love you. Well, do you know how much God loves you? He loves you enough to sacrifice his own son. He loves you enough to send his own son to an old wooden cross. He loves you enough to lay down his own life And to pay for your sins and your rebellions and your rejections and my sins. So there's nothing that hasn't been paid for at Calvary. No sin, past, present and future that that has not been paid for. You are fully forgiven and you are fully loved. That's how much God loves you. His arms are open saying, come home. This is Maria's story. Maria ran away from home. Mum woke up one morning and found Maria gone. Days passed, weeks passed. Can you imagine how distraught her mum is? Where is she? Is she okay? A few months later, she got a postcard from Maria and it said, New York City. What did mum do? She got on a plane... And she went to find her daughter. And she walked the streets of New York with a photo of Maria in her hand. Have you seen her? Have you seen her? Have you seen her? But no one has seen her. And she soon realised it was too big a city to, to cover on foot. So she got posters made of Maria's photograph. And she put posters in bars, in clubs, in restaurants, in restaurants, wherever she could find it. Posters of Maria saying, come home. There's one evening in a bar where Maria walked in and came face to face with her own photograph on the wall. And she ripped that poster down. On the back of that poster were these words. Wherever you are, whatever you've done, please come home. I love you and I forgive you. Wherever you are, whatever you've done, please come home, I love you and I forgive you. And I do believe God is saying that to somebody here tonight. I believe there's somebody in this room tonight who is running away from God, or you're religious, but you have no relationship, and God is saying, Come home. I just want to hug you. I want to welcome you. I want to forgive you. Come home. And when you do that, when you just say, I'm so sorry, he says, Shh, it's okay. I know what you've done, but just come home. I love you. And when you do that, what happens? Heaven has a party. That's what happens. Heaven rejoices when one person comes home to God. Did you see that in our stories? Verse seven, when they find the lost sheep, rejoice with me. And there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents Then over 99 righteous people don't need to. There's a party in heaven when one person comes home to God. The same with the lost coin, verse 10. There's rejoicing in the presence of the angels. Heaven is praising and celebrating when one person comes home. And the same with the Father. He says, bring the fattened calf and bring the best robe and treat him like a king and let's party. Let's have a massive party because this son of mine, he was lost and is found. And again, I do believe there's a party in heaven tonight. There's a party. Actually, I know there's a party in heaven tonight because someone came to faith this morning at 10 o'clock church. How good is that? A man from Holland who walked past church this morning, didn't know why he came in. He told me at the door that he'd given his life to Christ. How good is that? And there's a party in heaven right now because one sinner has come home. But I do believe there's somebody here tonight who needs to come home. Come home to your Father who's saying, I love you and I forgive you. Whatever you've done, wherever you've been, just come home, please. Please come home. I'm going to pray right now. Father, thank you that you love us. Father, thank you that no matter how far we have run from you or rebelled against you or wandered from you or sat in church all our life but without a relationship with you. Thank you, Lord, that you, you seek us, you search for us, you knock on that door and you reach out and you call us home. Oh, we're so thankful, Lord, that you don't make us repay anything, you don't hold our grudge against us and you don't make us work for our salvation. Lord, your grace is amazing. Your grace is so amazing. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.